I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. It's Cameron Lim Stebro. We are honestly a week away, almost a week away from the Gasparilla Bowl. Wake Forest will be taking on Missouri for the first time ever. People are saying it's going to be a sellout blockbuster event. We're that close to Christmas. And so, you know, I thought, why not get a blockbuster guest? So I decided, you know, I watched a lot of Missouri myself. But I really wanted someone who's been in the trenches with Missouri, say, you know, 06 BCS, maybe even before that. Uh, so I decided, and someone very much volunteered, ESPN's own Bill Connolly decided to join the show. Bill, how are you today? I'm <laughs> pretty good. How are you? Good, good. It's not too early. Not too late. It's actually snowing here, so I'm a little confused <laughs> about that. It's snowing, D.C. But, <laughs> um, Bill, <laughs> so I, one of the big questions I think people get in terms of when they follow you, obviously you're the big creator of SP+. You do a lot of essentially, you are one of the founding fathers, at least for me, of college football analytics. How did you get involved with Missouri? Um, well, journalism school was the, the main draw uh, with like a lot of people. I ended up with a lot of out-of-state friends when I, when I got to Mizzou, um, and very few of us actually stayed in journalism, but we were there. But that, that was basically it. I, my, I, my dad got his doctorate here in Columbia. I'm still in Columbia, by the way. Um, yeah, my dad got his doctorate here. Uh, I was born here. We moved to Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma, but, um, I was an antisocial nerd and I didn't want to adopt OU or OSU. And so I was like, you know, (laughs) there's, there's this faraway land called Missouri and, and, that was kind of that was my team. It was a horrible choice, um, you know, through the eighties and nineties. <laughs> but um, but then it turned out I was interested in writing, and um, you know, my dad was like, you know, the, this this school that you worship for no reason whatsoever uh, happens to be ha- happens to have a very good J school that you should probably check out. So I came up here for that. After a semester, I changed to communication because I realized all the <laughs> other all the other kids in the J school were or in the pre-J, I guess, uh, we're just way more into a lot of the details about uh, about the journalism process than I was. So I bailed um, and I realized that more the, the options I was more interested in were on the communication side. And uh, I just apparently just wanted to write about sports, not, you know, do actual journalism. Uh, but, it, it, you know, over the course of 20 years, you know, with blogging and everything else, I, I created my own little weird path, uh, and it started with talking about Missouri. So um, <laughs> don't, don't do what I did, kids, but it somehow led me to a pretty interesting place. <laughs> so I, I guess just one more on, on just, you know, the background of Missouri. A question that I didn't even know existed. Some, someone gave me a question of, is it Missouri or Missouri? You know, I didn't know if there was a difference there or why is there a difference <laughs> It, there, there are the the older, probably more rural members of uh, or citizens of the state of Missouri who will kind of who will round it off and just basically say Missouri, 
but uh, to to most people, I would say we still say Missouri, unless I just don't notice anymore. I'm pretty sure that that is correct. <laughs> okay, good to know. I will make sure to keep that for whatever trivia I decide to do. That's right. uh, so kicking it over to the football side of things, Missouri has been, I don't want to call them the best worst team in college football, but they have been the results, I, I think, was they're, they're obviously, they made a bowl, but, you know, it's been really up and down season coming from when they're almost knocking off Georgia to really kind of not being able to find, I would say, an identity on offense. Even. You know, what, what kind of contributed to this kind of roller coaster season for Missouri? Well, I think to start with, it was just, you know, um, you, you have a first-time starting quarterback in Brady Cook, uh, and in his first six games as a starter, he's playing at Kansas State, at Auburn, at Florida, and Georgia at home. And um, obviously the Georgia game was weird and first night game Missouri's had in what felt like about 25 years. They, they've been kind of laminated in that noon Eastern kick uh, for, <laughs> for a lot of that period, but it was an evening kickoff. The crowd was amazing. Uh, they were, you know, clearly it created a, a fun environment and Missouri almost pulled a huge upset there. But I mean, otherwise in, in Brady Cook's first six games, you know, his first road game after, you know, he does well enough against Louisiana Tech, he goes to Kansas State, who has a, a better defensive front and a better defense than most of the SEC this year, aside from like Georgia and Kentucky and maybe one other. Um, and, and it doesn't go well. They they lose they score tw- <laughs> 12 points. They 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 get blown out. Uh the Auburn game obviously was memorable for its Weird. amazing flukiness with the, you know missing a chip shot field goal at the end, fumbling in the end zone, all that stuff. But they still only scored 14 points. Offense just wasn't very good. They go to Florida the week after the Georgia game. The defense shows well, but they score 17 points and they lose by seven. Um, that, that was kind of the story all year. They they had Kentucky on the ropes late in early November and could only score 17, lost 21-17. I think, though, what we saw late in the season – was, you know, you never know what kind of role momentum is going to play in bowls when everybody, you know, takes off three weeks between games and, you know, guys enter the portal and all this other stuff. So I don't really think it'll matter at all. But late in the season, this was a different Missouri team. Um, They kind of reassessed during the uh, the bye week they had before Vanderbilt. And then I think supposedly late in the, in the season, uh, Eli Drinkwitz might not have been calling plays. It was kind of blurry whether that was the case or not. But the last three games of the year, especially suddenly Brady Cook's running a lot. And, you know, last year when they played Army in the bowl game, he ran a ton and he did it really well. And, you know, you – you see the scrimmages in the spring and everything else. You start to think like he's going to be a pretty big run threat, at least eight, 10, 12 times a game. And he just didn't, um, you know, they were trying to keep him mostly in the pocket and everything. And it just didn't, it wasn't working. Uh, but late in the year when he started running the ball a lot, <laughs> Missouri started scoring, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, you probably can't run as much as he did all year because what we were talking 16 carries for 106 against Tennessee, 18 for 138 against Arkansas. That's a little much, obviously. Um, but it worked. They scored 24 against Tennessee. They scored 45 against New Mexico state and New New Mexico state actually has a reasonable defense. Uh, and then they scored 29 and, and, and beat Arkansas. Those still aren't world beater numbers, but it was enough with a good defense to push them over the top. So, um, 
know, it was a different team at the end of the year. I can say that it's, uh, you know, it, you know, whether that matters in the bowl game or not, uh, you know, Bush Hamden is apparently leaving to, to take the right. offensive coordinator job at Boise state. And, you know, a couple defensive ends have opted out and, and all this other stuff. We'll see what team they actually field, but yeah, late in the year, there was a legitimately kind of a different team, uh, on the field, and it was a it was a better team on the field. You, you mentioned uh, Beatty, uh, Brian Briggs have had to really kind of run a little more. What's the offensive line kind of like? I, I remember the first few games of the year they just and I again partially because you're playing Auburn and Georgia yeah. and you know these big defensive line. But did that offensive line get better as the year went on, or did they just kind of or was just kind of just a product of okay, we know this offensive line not doing well, let's just figure out how to get them outside the pocket. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's a correlation there between better line play and better running and better results and everything. But you don't really know what came first. Was it, you know, did the line start blocking better or was it just that when you have an extra runner and an extra threat, everything works a little better? It's it's hard to tell for sure. I will say, you know, from a pass blocking standpoint, they've been pretty good. Um, and you know, but, but overall, you know, their, their full season numbers still aren't amazing. I, I track some through sports info solutions. I track some of the, uh, some offensive line numbers, 4.3 offensive line penalties per game, which was 106 about one, about one more than, than a normal team would. Um, and their blown block rate, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's an SIS thing. I don't know. I, you know, obviously there's some subjectivity in there, but however they record it, Missouri ranked 116th in it. So, um, you know, there, there were still some issues. I think they were in the 120s at one point. I think they trended upward, yeah. but it was still not great. Um, so they did make some, some shuffles on the offensive line too, that could have contributed. They've had three guys now play over 200 snaps at right tackle, but two guys play over 300 snaps at, uh, at right guard. So they've been tinkering and it's possible they found the right recipe late in the year. But again, like it's hard to know chicken versus egg. It's hard to know which one came first. Very fair. Very fair. So kind of kicking things over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you look up and down the schedule and there's obviously a very glaring 66. So when you take it out of yeah. the schedule, you know, you look at the scores of 17, tw- uh, 12 against Kansas, uh, well, Kansas State 40, 14 against, uh, 17 against Auburn, 24 against Louisiana Tech. I've been really impressed with this Missouri defense. You know, obviously there is going to be opt-outs. There have been opt-outs of people in the portal. But what's really made this defense kind of tick this year? Yeah, I think – I mean, it was amazing. Last year, um, Steve Wilkes takes over as defensive coordinator for Eli Drinkwitz. um, And first half of the year, it was kind of like the stereotype of – when an NFL coach goes to college and suddenly the guys don't know as much and you only get X number of practice hours and suddenly nobody, you know, the, the, you've got a PhD in coaching and none of your guys know where to line up. Um, and, and it was a very slow learning process in that regard. I remember against Tennessee early last season, there was a play where at the line of, you know, Tennessee's at the, I don't know, they're eight or something like that. And just at the line of scrimmage, you can see this big gap where there should probably be a linebacker. And Tennessee, <laughs> what I think was their third string running back, just basically trots through the hole for 92 yards and a touchdown. It was the most disorganized thing I've ever seen. Late in the year, they improved, though, because their their talent was, wasn't all that bad, especially in the front seven. Um, Wilkes goes to the pros. Blake Baker comes in, you know, Manny Diaz guy, former Miami defensive coordinator. Um, he wants to get more aggressive guys actually line up in the right spot, which always helps. And, you know, <laughs> the, there were results. 
like, um, you know, the havoc rate the number that I track, um, you know, where, you know, add up tackles for loss and, um, you know, interceptions and pass breakups and forced fumbles, just disruptive play rate. Basically they're eighth nationally in havoc rate. They're 17th on the defensive line. Their, their secondary is very uh, disruptive in that regard. They're sixth in, in havoc rate from defensive backs. Um, you know, they, they're probably not, they, they play a lot of man coverage and they're not amazing at it. Uh, they're probably, they're better at zone than man, uh, as a rule, but, uh, they will, they, they just want to challenge you. They want to find out, um, you know, where their holes are and where their, where their, um, matchup advantages are. And they're going to try to exploit those Tennessee, you know, <laughs> there were no matchup advantages against Tennessee, especially if, you know, they had a, they were able to get a little pressure on him and hooker here and there, but if he got the throw off, he was thrown to a wide open guy. And, and so that one definitely got out of hand and then Tennessee was still going deep with their, their starters late in the game because, or with their backups late in the game, because they needed style points for CFP purposes, I guess. But um, it, that one was bad. That was just a case of we're going to challenge you and you're going to completely dominate us, but nobody else has really, been able to do that. And, um, and it has been against Arkansas, especially late in the year, they were extremely disruptive on the defensive line. And I guess if you're a Missouri fan, you were encouraged by the fact that it wasn't just the opt-outs. It wasn't Isaiah McGuire doing all that damage. It was some of the guys, a guy named Johnny Walker Jr. Who's probably going to play a lot um, against Wake. He, he had a really nice game and a really disruptive game against Arkansas too. So that if you they might have the depth to to account for the guys they're losing in this game, but we'll see. Obviously, you're not going to have your absolute best players in there if you're Missouri, right? So, I mean, you mentioned that Tennessee was probably the only team that really has the power power to test those corners. I mean, I really enjoy corners like and Rake Straws, one of my favorite guys to watch. Turning the page to Wake Forest, I think that might be the most analogous team they've played on that schedule. You know, how does from a defense perspective, how do you think uh, Missouri kind of would attack this, this sort of matchup here? Well, I think it, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because from a matchup, from a stat standpoint, the matchups wakes offense versus Missouri's defense are really, really um, close are, are really, or right. I should say similar, um, you right. know, wake force runs the ball reasonably efficiently. I think that's improved throughout the year, but they don't make any big plays uh, in the ground game. They're just trying to, right. That, that maddening, slow mesh and all that other stuff. They're just trying to steal whatever yards you give them. Um, and I love it because I don't think enough offenses steal yards very well these days. But Missouri's whole thing on in run defense is they're going to – they're extremely efficient in run defense, but they give up big plays. So what does that mean? Um, it's hard to know the answer to that right offhand, uh, how that's going to play out when, when, it, when you know, you got two units whose strengths and weaknesses are kind of the same. And it's the same kind of deal in 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 the passing game. You know, Wake's eight in my passing success rate measure. Missouri's 18th in defending the pass. Um, but <laughs> they, uh, you know, Wake will uh, try to stretch the field on you a little bit. And Missouri hasn't always been good at preventing um, the more vertical passing. So uh, it is really, really interesting. We've got kind of the opposite matchups on the other side of the ball right. uh, in terms of inefficiency versus inefficiency. But you know, you know, it, it, it's something I've tweeted out a couple times now. Like the the projected score in this game per SP plus is thirty point six to thirty point six. Uh, Wake, Wake <laughs> is favored by zero point zero one points. Obviously, that doesn't take opt outs into account, but it tells you just how even the matchups are on paper. Right. 
So I, I do want to kind of kick it to SD Plus because, I mean, that's you know, your big thing, and I'm just sure that's what you get asked that ask a lot about. You know, and Wake fans love one. SP Plus. They never have any problems with SP Plus at all. SP Plus is the most Wake Forest-friendly stat I think has ever been created, and <laughs> I love it so much. I do actually love it. It's one of my favorite things. If you, if you are someone that hasn't looked at SP Plus, I'm actually Bill. Do you want to give a better explanation of what SP Plus is before I try to sell it? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, at its heart, it is. It has taken many iterations through the years, but at its heart, is a tempo adjusted, opponent adjusted look at the things in football that are that are supposedly actually sustainable. Um, you know, not just results. Not it's not a resume rating. It's it's an intended power rating, so to speak, and uh, you know, taking the information in hand and trying to project forward, basically. Um, and it's history with Wake Forest in, in recent times has been a little, uh, you know, argumentative, <laughs> I guess you could say, um, the Missouri, uh, Wake Forest in the last five years has not including this year, heading into this year, Wake in the last five years with the redesign of SP plus that I, I did this off season, they've been tr- tr- top 20 in offense for the last five years and they're eighth this year. So five of the last six uh, great offense across the board. Defense um, hasn't ranked above 80th since 2017. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, 70, starting in 2017, defense is ranked 73rd, 94th, 80th, 93rd, 86th, and now 104th this year. And so basically they're just this team of extremes that um, if the offensive advantages, if you can take advantage of their weaknesses more than they can take advantage of yours, you're going to have a pretty good chance. Um, this year it's been a little, I think the defense has tipped things in, in you know, uh, last year they were, they ended up 23rd in SP plus, um, which for an 11 win team is kind of low, but the, the, the losses were bad enough or were demonstrative enough that it bumped that average down this year. They're 44th in SP plus and, and seven and five, which fits a lot better. You know, that's, that's where you kind of expect a seven and five power conference team to rank on average. And yeah, I mean, Scoring 40 plus in just about every win and allowing 30 plus in pretty much every loss, I think. So that, that's kind of how it goes. But um, that, yeah, that's, I, you know, especially last year, I, there, there were some, t- there were some Wake fans who weren't really impressed with SP plus. And I, you know, <laughs> I can't really blame them for that. <clears throat> very, very fair, very fair. So, I mean, you mentioned obviously where Wake is offensively, off, defensively on SP plus. Is that something you kind of see with other teams? Like I know UNC is probably a different example of team that is going to probably rank very high in SP plus and defense not very high on the other end of the spectrum. Is that something you, you kind of see more often? Is that something you expect? You know, we're, I think one of the things Wake fans are trying to get to the bottom of is like what's going on here. And I think one yeah. of the things people want to realize is it, is it obviously the defense can play better, et cetera, et cetera. Is that a common thing we're going to start having to expect to see if you have such a high powered offense that unless you're Georgia? That other one, one of the expected, whether it's a good defense or a good offense, you know, it might be something else is missing here. <laughs> right. Like the most talented teams are, the, are obviously going to have a much better chance of being good at two things. Um, you know, this year, let's see, there are one, two, three, four teams that rank in the top 20 in both offense and defense in SB plus they're Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state and Alabama. Um, <laughs> And so with just about everybody else, you're basically making choices. Obviously, you know, you'd rather, you know, if you're going to have a good unit and a bad unit like Wake Forest, like North Carolina, um, North Carolina, by the way, is 14th on offense and 106th on defense. So very close to Wake 
being eighth and one Oh fourth. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, you're making choices and you're making sacrifices and you're just hoping that the strengths you can create, you know, if, you know, if you can only get so many talented, super talented players on your team, you know, the, the other side, the, the side of the ball where those players aren't might struggle a little bit, or, you know, you're creating a system where you're trying to maximize your offensive advantage and it's keeping your defense out on the field a little bit more than you'd prefer. And yeah, you're just making trades and that's basically <clears throat> where Wake and North Carolina are this year. And, and really everybody's making trades to a certain degree. Only the most talented or most well-coached teams in the country are, are managing to pull off uh, quality on both sides of the ball, extreme quality on both sides of the ball. So I mean, keep you on the train with SP plus. I think the last number you had was, I think it was under 12 and a half points per game for an absolute error in terms of SP plus when spread. Um, and you know, that's, Really good. I mean, SP Plus is a model that I know I use for my for my own legal gambling purposes. I know a lot of people other do as well. So, where on the not on the positive side of things, but where do you see like the limits of SP Plus? I know no model is ever perfect. Everyone wants to keep making things better and better. You know, where do you think SP Plus maybe not have a blind side, but you know, you wish you could capture things a little better? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the one thing that. Uh, when I when I get yelled at or when somebody discovers SP Plus now. Um, you know, they immediately just assume that I have created this number that is that I think is uh, infallible and great. And therefore, if you disagree with it, you're an idiot. Um, like I'm <laughs> every time SP plus has a bad week of any kind. I like I want to scrap the whole thing and start over. Um, and, and I do look for tweaks pretty often. I think this this last offseason, I, I made a tweak that uh, so, so basically starting last year or the last couple of years, um, I created kind of an approximate SP plus based on just points scored and allowed for FCS D2, D3, and an AIA, like all the way down. It's really, really neat to, to be able to kind of create a decent number for top to bottom in college football in the entire pyramid. Um, but last year, it, it got kind of weird because the FCS version, again, just based on pure points scored and allowed, performed better than the super fancy weird version that I've used for <laughs> SP plus for a, or for for FBS for a number of years. Um, and I got a little weirded out by that. And, and so I kind of looked into it and it, and I think basically I wasn't letting pure points scored and allowed the, the actual result needed to stand a little bit more in the formula than it did. And so um, I ca- curated what amounts to like a blended model for this year where it's that, that seemed to perform better, especially at the beginning and in the end of the season. Um, and so I kind of worked that into things this year and, and it performed great. Um, this was a, a, a lovely year. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to beat the spread now. Um, you yeah. know, the, the spread's just a, a hell it. of a lot. Yeah. It's just a hell of a lot smarter. <laughs> once, once gambling started to, uh, to, to grow bigger, once the books uh, realized they needed to get a little smarter and I know they've used uh, certain advanced stats for some of the opening lines now, um, I've been told that SP plus is one of those, but it's really hard to beat the spread. And, and SP plus is almost exactly 50% this year. Whereas in 2019, it was like 54%, but the right. number itself, the, the amount it's missing a given game is as good as it was in 2019 or very close to it now. Um, so that's, that's good. I think 2020 and, and 21 were just weird and, and things got a little wonky all the way around, but it seems like we've kind of, the, the sport has stabilized a little bit this year, despite the portal and all that. 
And I think I made SP plus a little better. So I've got more ideas. Like the, the there's always this thing about the volatility, like the teams that rely on big plays a bunch and just the volatility that's involved in that. Um, I'm always looking for ways to, to account for that, that in, in that, that I haven't been able to yet. And I think, the maybe the biggest blind spot currently that I'm going to try to address in the off season is one that it was very clear. It was going to be an issue is, is the portal. The, the preseason projections yeah. are, are, are very, very good as a given, as a rule, like SP plus, if you had bet, if you had bet on the preseason win totals, if you had bet on every single preseason win total in 2021, you'd have won like 61% of your bets. If you just looked at the ones where SP plus disagreed uh, by like a game or more, you would have won like 70%. It's still, those advantages shrink again this year because every <laughs> advantage shrinks, but it was still going to be an issue. USC was projected in the forties. Um, you know, LSU was projected in the thirties, the teams that were loading up on 20 transfers. I just didn't have a good way to account for that because I didn't know what the effect was going to be. This was the first time, <clears throat> but this year got at least a little uh, data to work with. And, um, you know, we'll see exactly, you know, I, I figure I can make those projections a little better this year, even if it's, t- if it's always going to be a little wild. So that, that'll be hopefully the biggest source of improvement this coming year is going to be in that preseason model. That makes sense. I think the portal is something that everyone terrified of, doesn't really know what to do with, either from a data perspective or just a... I was about to say coach, coaches to and nerds are both terrified of, uh, <laughs> uh, of oh, the yeah. portal's hey, effects, yeah. People, people are going at home for their own kids that are, that are on the roster. That, that's kind yep. of wild to me. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Staying on the the data analytics side of things, where do you see the next step of this? Not just SB Plus, but data analytics in general. I know there's always the online argument of, watch the film or just stay in your lane nerds just like you know what do you think that next step is and how do you think these things are going to be more intertwined with watching the film we already know they're intertwined coaches aren't just making decisions blindly but you know what is that next step for them (laughs) why do you think um the the biggest area of growth for analytics in college football in football period has obviously been kind of the low-hanging fruit that we've been talking about for years and in fourth down attempts um you know that has gone Teams are going for it on fourth and one in, a, in opposition territory. I didn't see the final number this year, but it was, you know, in, in, I think the either like 80% of the time, something to that effect last year. I wrote about it in the spring. Um, and it, so like in certain scenarios, you are seeing that teams are going for it when they're supposed to. Um, and those though that has picked up dramatically just in the last like five years. Championship analytics, I think, has been especially 
um, uh, influential in that regard, just with the number of teams that have signed up for their service and the number of teams that have had success, therefore kind of making it okay for others to go for it a lot. Um, and you're seeing guys like Lane Kiffin, obviously monking at Army long ago. Um, you're seeing guys follow that book pretty, pretty well um, and, and win games doing it. So I think that's well, obviously we see the backlash every single time a team goes forward and f- on fourth and one and doesn't get it. Oregon <laughs> in a couple of games this year. Um, it, it's always kind of disheartening when you realize you're having the exact same arguments uh, that you were like eight years ago, 10 years ago. And and when we see the, the, just the, the amount of, of, just toxicity almost in those arguments with how could he possibly think that was a good idea when the numbers pretty clearly said it was a good idea. Um, you know, so that's always kind of discouraging, but I do think we're going to continue seeing teams go for it properly on, on the fourth and one and twos. And we're going to see teams start to go for it more in, when there's, but when the, when the numbers say they should on like fourth and three and four and five or fourth and one on the other side of the field or, or whatever, yeah. So that's going to be, that's the low hanging fruit that and kind of two point conversions, um, you know, understanding the math and the, and the odds behind those we've seen that take off and will continue to beyond that. I don't really know um, where, where trends will take us um, because that is the low hanging fruit. There's not a lot of obvious stuff to be picked after fourth downs and two point conversions are, 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 are picking up. I think you can, you'll, we'll still see teams passing more, um, there are still plenty of, you know, run the ball on second and 10 to create a, th- a third and manageable kind of st- stuff that we still see in the pros too, um, right. that, you know, we'll slowly start to see coaches accept that maybe that's not maximizing our win probabilities here to do that. And we can, <laughs> we can trust college quarterbacks more than we do in 2022 and stuff like that. But uh, that, that, that's the, that's the easy stuff after that. It'll probably any any advances in analytics might come more on like the player development side and things that we don't necessarily see, uh, you know, on you know, and and things that we're not able to just discuss openly during a game because we don't really know what the effects were. Um, I think we'll see a lot. We probably already are seeing effects in that regard. We just don't really know it. So um, that's kind of that's that's not as much fun to talk about because it's not as as open. But I do think that's an area where teams are going to get a lot smarter or or already are getting a lot smarter. No, I think that, I think that's very fair. I mean, it, it's always the question you never know, which you don't know what you don't know. And I think just kind of right. starting to break down barriers there is going to be a very interesting thing. So I, I'm going to kind of kick it back to Wake Forest, but keep it on a little bit of the data side of things. Turnovers. I know there's <laughs> something that everyone argues about. Are they luck? Is this a luck-based statistic? No, this is just skill, et cetera. The answer is always it's in the middle. Um, <laughs> the answer is never never binary. It's always it depends. Um, so I guess what is, I guess, your kind of view on turnovers? How often can a defense force them? And I asked this because Wake Forest really went almost the entire ACC schedule without a turnover. They got two in their last two games, which I thought was impossible given the last three, four, five years they've been a team that consistently turned, gotten turnovers, but this year just wasn't the case. You know, kind of where does that stand luck versus teaching side of thing? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, well, it, it is, well, it is in the middle. Um, that's <laughs> the best way to put it. Basically, you know, there are, are turnover opportunities and then there's the the randomness that comes with once those opportunities are created. I guess that's the best way to put it. Like you can, the more sacks you, 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 um, record the more likely your uh, the the number of fumbles you're going to force go up 
Um, you can play super aggressive man coverage and get your hands on a lot more passes. Um, and, and that'll increase maybe the, the, the number of interception opportunities you have, but then actually catching the interceptions and actually recovering the fumbles are extremely random. Um, and, and I said, I, I mentioned man defense. There is kind of, there's a trade off there. Like, you know, if you play man versus zone, man, you're going to get your hand on more passes, but you're going to pick off fewer of them. I guess if you just want to think about it as like the defender's back is turned to the ball versus not. Meanwhile, if you play a lot of zone, you're not going to get your hand on nearly as many passes, but you're, you're more likely to pick off the ones you get. Um, but that said, yeah, there's a ton of randomness in here. And, and we see a, a, an amazing example with USC. Um, you know, this season, um, I just pulled up their numbers here. They, they, where did they go? Uh, there, there are 27 fumbles in USC games this year. Um, they recovered 20 of them. Um, that, you know, on average, you're going to recover 13 or 14 of those. So they, they benefited just from fumbles. They benefited by six or seven fumbles above where, where they were supposed to land. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was luck. Uh, there, there's no over a long enough <laughs> period of time. There's no way you're not, you know, you, you can follow the ball. You can do a lot of things that maybe increase your odds from 50% to like 52% over, over enough time but you know the the teams that have really high fumble recovery rates in a given year have tend to not have really high fumble recovery rates the next year um and then there's the the other side of things um interceptions to breakups generally speaking you're gonna have about one interception to every four or so pass breakups um usc this year had 19 interceptions and 42 breakups so really that should have been something like um you know quick math um, something yeah. like 12 to 14 interceptions. They had 19 opponents had, uh, four interceptions to 36 breakups. Uh, they got their hands basically on 40 Caleb Williams passes and picked off only four of them. That probably should have been more like eight. Um, so that was just a dramatic turnovers luck season for USC this year. Um, and while that doesn't mean, you know, they're going to stink next year or anything like that, it, it does mean that they're probably not going to benefit like that from turnovers next year. And they're going to have to be even better to account for that. So Wake Forest was kind of in the middle. I had to use USC as an example because Wake's numbers were pretty close. Like their expected turnover margin based on those averages was minus 0.4. Their actual turnover margin was zero. There wasn't a lot to work with there. It was a, on average, it was about right. So if you're, if you're looking at it, thinking that Wake didn't create enough turnovers, it's probably because they didn't create those chances to begin with. Um, they weren't really lucky or unlucky. They just didn't create a lot of chances. And I think that's, you know, what we saw actually, no, like the turnover margin was minus three. Um, so I, I probably didn't update those numbers for the, um, at some point. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, I think, I think we would agree. I think we'd agree with that. I think a lot of the Wake Forest fans are more of, Hey, we didn't get enough PBUs or just get our heads up in general. So that, that kind of aligns at least enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. And I mean, just looking, looking really quickly at the, at the numbers themselves. I mean, they're certainly in what nobody had more than one pick um, fumble recovery rate. I'm not seeing immediately, but yeah, like that's, it seems like that was about where it should have been. Um, But every year there are some, some wild outliers that, uh, that we always ascribe to, you know, (laughs) fortitude or whatever, when it was, when it was just bounces. So just kind of close things out, you know, really bringing it back to the gas roll bowl. I mean, Obviously, you have SD Plus as, as a Wake as a 0.01 point favorite here. <laughs> what kind of game do you expect? 
I guess it depends. I don't, I don't really know about a prediction, but like, what do you kind of expect to see this game playing out as? <laughs> yeah, it, it is really interesting when you have these situations where one one unit strength is the other unit strength and weakness and weakness and all that. Like, it, it, th- those games can take on really interesting lives. Like, you know, you can have a super low scoring game, you can have a super high scoring game, just depending on which way those averages tip. And um, I, I'm going to assume that high scoring is more likely. Missouri doesn't really like high scoring games all that much, but I would guess that if nothing else, you know, if there's any sort of drop off in the Missouri pass rush um, that, you know, we'll see an impact there um, with Wake. I mean, Wake's obviously a unique team to prepare for anyway, but um, you know, that, I would assume then that, you know, this, this game should be close by all accounts other than the fact that just random bowls become blowouts with no warning whatsoever. Just one team. <laughs> that's always, you know, we all, everybody always thinks they're ready for a bowl. We never know who's going to really show up or not show up. But the first yeah. time the old Mike Tyson, first time you get punched in the mouth thing, some teams are just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm, this is uh, like, I'm ready for the season to be over. And you never really know where that's going to happen. But if both teams show up and both teams survive the first punch to the mouth, this should be by all means a close game. One that's, um, you know, determined by, um, how many big plays Wake Forest creates on offense? How many? How how well Missouri is able to to run the ball efficiently? You know their season long numbers are pretty terrible in that regard, but they picked up pretty dramatically the right. last three games. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's a toss up on paper, and I kind of believe it. I think Wake's been hit less hard by opt outs, but Missouri was you know, the, the teams were trending in opposite directions at the end of the year. And if that means anything whatsoever, it favors Missouri. Uh, so I always come right back to, yeah, 0.01 makes a lot of sense. I have loved this conversation. Phil, where can the guys find you? Guys, gals, whatever they identify as, where can they find you? I know they can't find podcasts and play nobody anymore. If you haven't gone back and listened to that, by the way, go back and listen to that entire series. One of the best podcasts I've ever been, I've ever listened to, but where can they find you, Bill? Um, yeah, just everything goes through the Twitter account for, you know, for now. Anyway, we'll see uh, in the future. <laughs> but for now, yeah, just the SPN underscore Bill C and, and everything I do ends up one, there one way or the other. There's a link in in that bio that goes to everything I've written for ESPN. Um, and it's a podcast now. Been been involved in the game day podcast this fall. So um, so there's that, too. But that's yeah, that's the, that's the best place. You'll see everything there. All right. All right. And thanks, Bill. And as always. Good Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.